message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We've been going through Psalms 23, the most familiar, I would challenge, of all the passages in the Bible, Psalms 23. Uh, many of us even said that, that are old enough of age that, you know, that we can even remember a time back in school where we actually memorized that as part of just a literary part. They didn't teach it as Bible if it was a public school, but they said, here's some really good literature. And a lot of us learned Psalms 23, even in the public school, if you go back far enough. And uh, because it really is poetic. It's poetically probably one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. And yet one of the things that I hope that you've seen in the first couple weeks as we've jumped into verse 1 and 2, and now today verse 3, is that even though it is really poetic, it is very practical. I mean, Psalms 23, I love the King James Version. You know, we don't preach from it. We preach from either NIV sometimes, but mostly the ESV. And it's a modern translation, and I love it because just the biblical accuracy of that to the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. And so I just like that scholastically. I love that text. But there are some passages that in the King James, it just aces it. And it is one of those things that in, you know, that uh, the beauty of the poetic nature of Psalms 23, there's just something about Psalm 23 in the King James that is even that much more beautiful. Now, having said that, we're going to go back to the ESV this morning, but, but it's just it's one of those, it's poetic. And yet, do not be lost in the poetry of it. See the practicality of it this morning. As we delved into verse 1, we saw that uh, in that practical nature, that uh, the psalmist, David, is writing this. And, and David, we don't know if he's king yet. We don't know if this is like after he's become the king. But uh, we know that he's written that in, in a time of probably adulthood. And more than likely, he is the king now. We don't know if it's after some of the rebellion of his own family and some of the heartbreak of, uh, that he had with some of his personal sin. We just know it comes at a time when he is making proclamations about the Lord. And one of those things that is so personal that he begins to say is that he is my shepherd. There are 16 references to uh, himself, his need for a shepherd, and there's 12 references to God in his passages. And it's going back and forth where we hear this word I and me and you, and, and he proclaims that God is this great shepherd. And basically we looked at first week that there was three main things that he was saying that, that God in this shepherding form does in our lives. They're very practical. He's our protector, he's our provider, and he's our physician. And this morning I'm going to kind of play upon that last part because we know, you know that he is the great protector and he's the provider. And then sometimes, as we begin to see in verse 2, that he's this physician. And sometimes he does that in a very practical way. Uh, he makes us to lie down. We see that he provides rest for us. And a lot of verse 2 really kind of centered on God's ability to make us lie down and rest. And then wonderfully, well, Andy preached last week about rest and, and being able to come in there and kind of tag upon that. This week we're going to go to verse 3, and we're going to see a word that sounds like rest, but it's longer than that. It's the word restoration. In verse 3 we said, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I wanted you to know right from the beginning that there is a huge difference, biblically speaking, and practically speaking, between rest and restoration. Both are biblical. As you found out last week, it, 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 he commanded the Sabbath. 
Did God make the Sabbath for him or for us? For us. He said, man, I've made it for you. Because why? Because you need rest. And I want you to honor me on this Sabbath, and I want you to honor me by taking a day off and resting physically and emotionally and all these different ways. But we are in need of rest. And yet, even if we had physical and emotional and mental rest, there's something that's deeper within us. One thing that you hear me say often is, guys, that we are actually spiritual beings with physical bodies. We are not physical bodies with, that just happens to have a spirit. The core nature that separates us from all of the rest of God's creation is that he's made us at our core spiritual in our nature. And we just happen to have a body that hangs around with that for this time. But who you really are at your core, your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, all of those kind of things are really centered in your spirit. Well, just because we go laying on the beach for a week, do we necessarily always get rest for our spirit? I, I mean, Carly and I, it was probably one of the best vacations we've ever had as far as just rest. And we wanted some rest, and, and God was just uh, this last week. I mean, we really, we were spoiled. And, and I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't sound bad or anything, but we didn't do anything but get up, lay around on the beach, or at the pool, eat, lay around the beach in the pool, eat, and go to bed. I mean, for a week, that's all we did. I mean, the, the, the biggest task, as I was sharing with somebody out there today, uh, is did I wear these pair of shorts to dinner last night or, or this pair of shorts? I mean, that was the toughest decision that we had all week. And we come back rested in that physical way. But does that necessarily mean that our spirit has found rest and more importantly that our Spirit has been restored. Two different things. Both biblical, both needed. Your body, the way that God made you, you need rest. Mentally, physically, all these different ways. But there's this thing called restoration that the Bible makes much of that sometimes we kind of put as an aside. I would say fundamentally that we need more restoration, biblically, theologically speaking, than we need even rest. But God has made much of both. And so we very much want to make much of both. But if we were only physical beings, then rest would be our greatest need. Kind of like recharging batteries. Have you ever had rechargeable batteries? You put them in there. Uh, I have a lot of tools at home, and they use the rechargeable batteries, and you use them for a while. Then what happens, Cleve? They go out. And so what do you do? You take that battery off, and you put it into the little charger thing, come back in a couple hours, it's recharged, you put it back in there. And if God would have made us only physical beings, then that would what he would prescribe. Okay, you're tired, go to the beach for a week, come back, and that's all you need. But he didn't make us only as physical beings. He made us at the core spiritual beings. And in this need for our spiritual being, rest is not the only requirement. Rest is good. And, and I would even go as far as to say that rest is holy. But it doesn't necessarily always get down to the core of how God wired us up. In verse 3, David is emphasizing here something that goes beyond our physical needs. And he begins to talk about our spiritual needs and his responsibility as a shepherd. Answer this question for me. By nature this morning, by nature, are we as humans, are we obediently inclined or are we more inclined 
are we disobedient inclined? Are, are we by nature, you know, just obedient people that happen to make a bad choice every once in a while? Or by nature, theologically speaking, are we really <laughs> disobedient people that every once in a while happen to make actually a good choice? Which one? Obedient or disobedient? Very good. You know. And because this is the natural persuasion, the Bible, theologically, I could go to every page of the Bible, I promise you, and make a biblical case of that. Thousands and thousands and thousands of verses that God reminds us. And he doesn't do that to rub our nose in the grime. He doesn't. What he's making much of is the salvation that he's provided for us and the need that we have of this gift of Jesus Christ. And that's really at the core of verse 3. Because that word restoration isn't just a word that's dealing with the physical nature of the body, not even so much the emotional, even though it does have some to that, because our soul is kind of in touch with our emotions. It's not talking about those external things. It's much more that internal. And is it possible to be at the beach for a week without a care for the world and to lay your pillow on the bed at night and be as distraught as any human being can. Yeah. That's the complexity of human life. And if it truly was just another greener pasture, you remember a couple of weeks we talked about how we as humans were always looking for greener pastures. It's just one of the persuasions of humanity. And we think that sometimes the answer is in a greener pasture, better job, better this, better house, better neighborhood, better church, better wife or husband, sometimes better kids. You know, somehow we think that somehow if we had a greener pasture out there, that all of a sudden there's going to be this true rest, or maybe even we would fool ourselves to think that there's restoration. And folks, it doesn't work that way. This I know about you. I don't know a lot about you. There's so many personal things that are, are secrets that you keep to yourself. But this I know about every one of you because I know it biblically. God wired you up at your core as a spiritual being. And in that spiritual being, since we are naturally disobedient from the very birth, we inherited the very sin of, of Adam. We were sinners from, from birth. There's a restoration that needs to, needs, to, needs to take place in every human life. Every human life. There's times that, you know, you kind of get discouraged in ministry. And there's been one or two times I've just thought about, you know, Man, I'll just flip hamburgers at, at McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's a great job. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, just forget this whole preaching thing and pastoring. And there's been a few times that I've, you know, seriously thought about just abandoning the whole thing. Because you'd be discouraged because you don't see the results. You don't see God moving in the way that you would love to see God moving. And it gets pretty discouraging. And as a pastor's wife, it can get discouraging, can it? And, and you just kind of feel that frustration. And yet here's the reminder that always keeps you coming back. At their core, God, I know that they need you. At their core, what's well, going to get me up there to preach on Sunday or to go counsel on Tuesday or to go love on them in the hospital on Wednesday. At the core, I know that they have this need deep down inside their spirit that they need to, to, to very much come back to a place of restoration. And you're their only answer. So we need, do we need rest? Has God made you to need rest? Is rest holy? Yes, it is. 
but he's also made you to need restoration. And I would say that that's even more kind of a primary thing. I, I can't point to one verse. I'm just saying because since our spirits are the core of who we are, that it is fundamental for us to have restoration in our lives. Well, because we are disobediently inclined, and because of this nature, it needs, there's a need for us to be restored by our maker. And that's the claim that David makes here in verse 3. He says, he, that is God, does what? Restores my soul. And this restoration is not simply found by getting away. Rest can be found by getting away. Here, get this, it's by getting back. To restore something is something that was there, broken or lost, and then it's restored. Now you say, well, Bobby, Bobby we, we were born in sin. You just said that we were born in sin, so it's not like we ever had this. Well, when we see this word restoration, a lot of times it is referring in that big picture sense of theology of before Adam and Eve sinned. God made Adam and Eve perfect, and they were in perfect union with their God. God walked with them in the evening. We have this beautiful picture and theologians would have always said, well, okay, if God is spirit, how did he kind of walk with them? Well, we just have this beautiful picture. Can you imagine Eden before the fall? This place of God's perfection. And then God just comes around in the afternoon. Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. I mean, can you just, that they're always with God and God is always with them, but that he actually kind of just blows through the garden. That's amazing. And yet in that rebellious sin, to go their own way instead of God's way, it's all broken and they're cast out of that place of perfection and ever since that time you and I have inherited that sin and ever since there there's this need for you and I to be restored and so a lot of time when we talk about restoration getting back it's talking back to, to that point when the curse of sin was no longer in our lives now here's why I, I, I've got to get a little bit theological to say theologically true but I don't want to lose anybody not that you are not bright people and you can't get this, but we're so practical in the, in the way that we think sometimes. Because right now, do you see yourself as sinless? Because practically, because we think practically, and we think, okay, yesterday I did this, I did that. Oh, you know, even if I was sinless, I know that my spouse is not because they did that. You know, and so we're reminded daily of of our our that we are not perfect human beings. And so a lot of times if you just kind of put there, but if you are in Christ Jesus, theologically speaking, okay, theologically speaking, if you're in Christ Jesus, are you sinless? For everybody who's doing this, that's a good answer. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is just many places that he took our sin, all of our sin, and he put it upon him. He took his righteousness and he imputed it to us. This is the gift of God. This is not of our own doing. This isn't something that we created, that we did, that God said, you know, you look like you deserve an A. I'm going to give you an A and I'm going to give you forgiveness. And by his grace and his mercy, he took our brokenness. When we had nothing to exchange with that perfection that he would give to us and that righteousness that he would give to us. All we had to exchange was our sin. That's the only thing that we contributed to it. And he gives us forgiveness and grace and mercy and perfection. So theologically, if you are in Christ this morning, if you have trusted the finished work of Christ, 
Theologically speaking, you are sinless. Uh, All your sins have already been taken away. Now, when we answer that question, most of the time we're thinking practically. Because we're thinking about what we did yesterday and how we failed this and how we didn't live up to this and how we didn't do all the things that we really wanted to do. And so there's a part of this that has already been restored theologically if you're in Christ Jesus. Do you have that? But there's another part of us, since we're still kind of going around in this earth and we are exposed to sin and our own sinfulness, that needs almost a daily restoration also. Do you get that? Because unless you get both parts of it, I could be theological, you know, I could be, well, Bobby, you're just theologically wrong. We are perfect in Jesus Christ. And I would say, amen, yes, we are. In Christ Jesus, we are. But I saw you yesterday, and that was not all that perfect. You know, and so the, we have this practical and this theological that are always kind of teeter-tottering back and forth. Ultimately, Christ, if you're in Christ, if you have trusted the provision of Christ, theologically, that restoration has been made. Daily practical living, I need daily restoration with my holy God. My mind goes off here. My mind gets rebellious here. I get very independent. I get very proud for, uh, prideful. I get this, that, and the other. And there's times I just, okay, God, will you just restore my soul? Do you understand what I mean in that practical sense? Because that's why I don't want to twist my theology and the practicality. But do you get that, that? Do you get the theology part? That in Christ Jesus, we're as saved as you're going to get? Anything less would be declaring not our foul, fallibility, but the, that his provision wasn't enough. So we got that secure. But do you understand now what we, when we talk about, man, I just need restoration. And you're not talking about rest and a week at the beach. You're talking about, I just need restoration. Is it possible for a Christian to say that theologically as secure as can be through the finished work of Christ to kind of feel dirty? Is it possible for a, a Christian who has been saved by God in a gracious way to be depressed and discouraged? David here, I, I believe that he's covering everything. I think he covers the theological, but I think he also realizes that in day-to-day shepherding, this soul, as it still travels this earth, needs restoration. He restoreth my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In Luke chapter 15, besides Romans 8, my second favorite chapter in all the Bible, Jesus tells three different stories that I believe are a New Testament version, Ricky, of like this Old Testament passage of Psalms 23. Jesus is talking in three different paintings. First, he paints in the first couple of pictures of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep is lost and is astray, goes off. Now that sheep is the shepherd's. But what did the sheep do? He went off on his own. And so what does Jesus say that the shepherd does in Luke 15? He leaves the 99. They're all his. Okay, they're all his. But he leaves the 99 to go get the one. You sing that song, Rectal Love, one of my favorite songs. 
because it's just this abandonment of all common sense. And man, I'm going after you because you're the one that is gone. You're the one that needs to be brought back, restored. Second painting that Jesus pitches, uh, paints there. He says there's this woman and she had ten coins and she loses one. She counts her coins. She's got nine because there's one missing. And she turns the house upside down. She gets out the light. She gets out this. She does everything within her capability. And she keeps on searching for that one lost coin until when? Until it is brought back, until it's found. It's restored. And she counts and says, okay, I have ten coins. And perhaps one of the most beautiful stories in all the New Testament is a father who has two sons. They're both his sons. And yet one son is rebellious. We call him the prodigal. He kind of goes off and he does his own thing. He's still a son. But he goes off and does his own thing. That's where I, I, I do love the, the King James there. Went off in riotous living. I can remember even as 11 year old going, man, I wonder what riotous, you know, not righteous living, but riotous. I was going, man, that sounds interesting to an 11 year old. That was very, you know, I wonder what that was. I wanted to know the rest of the story. Because I knew it was bad. I just didn't know how bad it was. And he goes off and he finally finds himself at a place of total despair. He is filthy. He is hungry. He has no hope in himself. Answer my question, folks. Does that guy need a week of the beach? At the end of a week of a beach of, of eating, he'd just be cleaned up a little bit and maybe not as hungry, but you haven't changed his soul and his, his condition overall. No, what he needs to be restored. And he goes home and starts heading that way. And what he finds there is this father who opens his arm and embraces him and restores him not to be in a slave. He said, can I just be one of your slaves? He said, no, I restore you as my son. That's who you are. That's what you left. That's what you weren't acting that way. But I bring you back, and this is who you are. There's a difference between rest and restoration. And folks, we are deeply in need of both. Rest is holy, and it's biblical. But don't just get rest without the restoration. It's that great need that we have. Even if we can say, well, theologically, I know I'm going to heaven in crisis. Yes. Do not miss the joy of being daily restored by a willing shepherd that leaves the 99 to come after the one, that looks until it is found to that lost coin, and that opens his arms wide to the rebellious son. Here's the part that gets really personal. Going back to Psalms 23.3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. What's the last part of it? For his namesake. Do you know what that means? What, what does it mean? Why didn't he say he just restores my soul and he leads me back to a path of righteousness? Why didn't he just stop right there? Why does he put for his namesake? Well, ultimately, theologically, it means that God does this for his own glory. Do you know the only reason you're saved is for God's glory? I mean, I'm not sitting here trying to offend anybody. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he cares for you. Yes, the Bible says that you were chosen by God. 
But, but, but all that, and that's all wonderful, but do you know that he does it for his own glory? Everything God does is for his own glory. And you and I might say, well, that's pretty, you know, he thinks highly of himself. Who else is he to think highly of? Okay? I mean, if God doesn't do it for his glory, what other glory would he do it for, guys? So even our salvation, our restoration theologically, is ultimately for the glory of God. Now, here's what he's also saying. That God's restoration of your soul is for his glory. He does it for his namesake. Let me make that real practical this morning. And we've probably all at least said this in our mind. Maybe we haven't always said it out loud. Have you ever been to that point where you had sin in your life and uh, you've been dealing with sin? It's a whole season of sin, rebelliousness of some form or fashion. And uh, you've talked, maybe you went to counseling, maybe even heard some sermons, maybe even prayed at the altar, different things like that. And you came to this place where you're going, well, I know that God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. Is, have you ever, at least, maybe not said that out loud, but you have at least kind of had that thought. No, I'm not trying to offend anybody, because I think we've all done that to a certain degree. That is the most offensive thing that we could ever say to God. And I would base it even on this scripture right here. Again, I'm not trying to offend you, because I, I felt that way before. You know, oh God, you know, I mean, anytime that you've prayed for forgiveness for a sin that you did, let's say, last year and you've prayed 20 times. The last 19 times, I'm thinking that, you know, that we're just kind of playing upon this whole thing that, okay, do we really trust God's forgiveness? Because he said he's going to forgive. If we have come earnestly and humbly and said, will you forgive me? I think he forgives. And yet, we can see that still kind of in our mind. And I've had plenty say, you know, I, can, I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Uh, that's really kind of offensive to God. Because it's so counter biblical theology. It is so counter of what God says here. God saves you primarily for his glory. For you to say that there is sin in your life that was from last year that somehow he couldn't forgive, that you can't forgive. Why is your standard higher than God's? You're not the holy one here. I I get the feeling. You should understand that you're not on theological ground whatsoever to have that. Please don't give ownership to that in your life. Instead, run to the altar. You run to the open arms of this Father who says, and you say, well, I just, I'll come back as a slave. I would, because that's what the prodigal son, he said, can I just be, you know, one of your servants? He said, I know that life with you as a servant would it be better than the life that I have right now? And there's a lot of times because of the sin and the season of sin that we've had in our life, we come back and it's almost this groveling that we come back and God, would you just make me a servant? And I get that, but it's theologically incorrect because why? Not because of us, but because of this gracious father that we have says, get off your knees. You're my son. You're not my servant. This is the grace of God the very character of this God that brought that prodigal home. You know, we, we might say, well, you know, it was the son who had to uh, eventually come back. What led him back, guys? The character of his father. He would have never gone back in that story. And we realize it's just a parable. He would have never gone back if he didn't think that there was a father that would at least accept him as a servant. 
He knew that much about his father. My father is a kind and gracious and loving father. And I may not be able to go back as a son because I blew it, but I know that he would probably at least let me be a servant. And then he's going, he goes back based on this great character of the father and he is surprised beyond belief that it's even greater than he thought. Have you ever been surprised that God's character is even greater than you thought? God, I knew you're a holy God. I knew you're a great God. I knew that you're a loving God. I knew that you were all these things. But God, you amaze me that you're the restorer back into relationship. And I was willing to come just be a servant. And you picked me off my knees and you said, no, you are my son and you are my daughter. For his name's sake. God's very character and his name is the author of your salvation. Doesn't mean that we just go out there and we sin and do whatever we want. No, but just know that your salvation has been bought by his name and his character. He has signed his name to your salvation. When I stand before him one day, it will not be, Bobby, I saw you kind of preach some things and you did some nice things and you did this and, man, you fed hungry people and you did all this. No, he will say, you know, I signed my name to you. Bobby, you're saved. And you're restored and you're brought back. I didn't just give you rest. Because at the end of that seven days, seven months or seven years, you would have still been a needy person. I did what you needed most. And that is I restored you. I brought you back. And you wanted to be a servant because you felt that you just couldn't forgive yourself. And I said, heck with that. You're my son. Well, God, why did you do all that? For my name's sake. For my name's sake. It's the character of our father. My nephew, uh, he's in the fourth grade. Brilliant little boy. And you're, gonna, oh, you're just a proud uncle. I am a proud uncle. Uh, but he was reading at right under three years old. My girls were not reading at just under three years old. <laughs> and so uh, my, my sister's a little bit younger than me. And so in school, she always said, oh, you're Bobby's little sister. And I had done pretty good at school and everything, so she kind of had to live in that shadow. And so she is eating up every moment that her son's brilliance comes through. And, and I always thought that she was just kind of, you know, just thinking much of her son. We got him a birthday card for his third birthday. And, uh, you know, he, he opens it up and he starts reading it. Well, he says, happy birthday. Well, you know, you can mimic some words. If, if it's your 10th birthday card and it's happy birthday, but then we had written some things in there, and he reads it word for word at three years old. Well, fourth grade, he's in the fourth grade now. He's still brilliant. And uh, he just went to Savannah. Last week was the Junior Beta Club National Convention. Uh, Seventy-five fourth graders from all over the nation come for the math part, for the math part. He won. He's, he's number one in the nation of all fourth graders. My kids weren't. But, but, you know, <laughs> number one in the nation. I go to Facebook just minutes later. Congratulations, Sean. You know, it's a picture of my, my sister. And, you know, she's sitting there and, and all that. And she's saying, that's my boy. And God, 
in verse 3, when he looks upon us in need for restoration, he says, that's my girl. That's my boy. I put my name on you, and I claim you, and I restore you. We need rest. It's biblical. Thank you, Andy, for emphasizing that, for bringing that out. And and playing upon verse 2 that we saw, do not forget this biblical call to rest. But we get to verse 3, and God says, hey, let me go a little deeper. You need physical, mental, emotional rest, but let me deal with something that's going to be even that much more internal. Let me deal with your very soul. Because you can go to the beach for a week, or you can change jobs, or you can change churches. Guys, you can even change families. But if that's what you're looking for, that change to a greener pasture is going to solve what's going on in your spirit and your soul, then you're looking in the wrong place. Because it's not seven days on the beach. It's not seven weeks in a new job. It's not seven years in a new this or that or whatever. There's one place you can get it, and God says, I'm the provider of that. And that's what makes verse 3 so precious. That he says to us at that point, he says, I receive. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He writes his name on me. And so this morning we come to a point of of our last song. And and we don't really call it the invitation song anymore because, you know, I don't stand up here and say, okay, one more verse. And if nobody comes, I mean, I grew up in that church. I mean, I I did, and there was nothing wrong with that. But we're not going to sing 52 versions of Just As I Am uh, verses of that and you know, wait for that one person to come. But, but I will tell you, guys, there is something. We prepared our hearts to hear the Lord. I pray that through his word and through his spirit we have heard and received his word. And there is a proper time, whether you call it an invitation, whether you call it anything at all, there's a time that we get to respond graciously, that we get to respond and say, God, thank you for this truth. It doesn't mean you have to come to the altar and pray. Some people will want to do that doesn't mean that we have to raise hands and we have to do that. I don't like that part of it, you know. You know, is there one person here? Okay, I can, don't look. But, you know, I, I think that can be silly at times. But I do tell you this. When I've been before the Lord in his word, in his spirit, there is a need within my soul that wants to respond. And sometimes that's in private prayer. Sometimes that's joining in with that last song and just singing. I told Ricky in a couple weeks what we're going to do. We're going to reverse the order of the service. And we're going to do one song. Then we're going to have the sermon. And then we're going to end with the three songs. And we've done that. We haven't done it here before, but I've done that before. And it's amazing how much you sing out on those last three songs because you've already been under the word and you just, you know, they're just praise. It's just, it comes out because you're singing back what you just took in through his word. But this morning, it's just a time for us to respond to a holy God. Maybe it's to say thank you that he has restored our soul. Maybe it is a plea, God, will you help me to understand this restoration? Because I'm still hanging on that I can't forgive myself. And I do not want to put my level of forgiveness over yours, your holy God. And if you say that I am clean in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to claim that I am clean in Jesus Christ. Maybe it is to thank God that he's provided for you a Christian husband and father for your children on this Father's Day. 
Maybe it's just your story of salvation. You say, God, I was that one that came back. And then I heard about your character, so I came back on my knees thinking maybe I could just be your servant. And you raised me from my knees, and you said, no, you are my son, or you are my daughter. And you just want to live that out in praise this morning. It's our time just to respond to a gracious and loving God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we make much of you. Father, we thank you today that, that uh, when it says that you would do this for your namesake, that you, do, you saved us for your glory. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you that you talk to us about rest, but we thank you that you also talk to us about the importance of restoration. That as we go away, Father, that you have provided Christ to bring us back. And Father, I thank you that theologically that is sealed, done, delivered in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about traveling home today and and having an errant thought and getting in a car crash and somehow, because that was my last thought, that somehow I'm not going to be with you in heaven for the rest of my life. Thank you that Jesus' work was complete and done and finished. And yet, Father, I confess this morning that I'm in need for daily renewal. Create a fresh and new spirit within me. All that is within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew, bring back a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me, Father, with your willing spirit. Let that be the confession of your church, your body of believers and your children this morning, Father, as we thank you and as we praise you and as we come before you now, as we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.